Hi there, welcome to Must Love Food. I'm Pam and Haley is joining me today to talk about how to make homemade corned beef and she's gonna highlight many of our recipes that use corned beef. Then John's gonna join us and tell us all about Irish whiskey. And he does a pretty good job of stumping us in our trivia game. So join us today, hope you enjoy the show. Visit our site to learn about special offers, new products, and more for purchase. We offer live cooking seminars from pasta making and cast iron cooking to pie baking and stir frying techniques. Our special interest publications feature recipes centered around certain topics like feel good food and slow cooker dinners. We also offer custom cuisine at home branded kitchen tools such as aprons, cutting boards, and bench knives. Shop all of our offerings at cuisineathome.com. Hi, I'm Pam, and welcome to Must Love Food. I'm here with Haley and uh, for Table Talk, and we're going to talk about corned beef, because Haley uh, has made corned beef here for us and knows a little bit about it. That's right. So, uh, I mean, many of you perhaps think that corned beef can only be purchased at the store, and you can indeed buy it at the store, but it's going to taste a lot fresher and have more flavor if you corn it yourself. And uh, it's actually not hard at all. Well, the funny thing is I grew up um, having corned beef every St. Patrick's Day. My mom always made it, but always bought the stuff from the store. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't you taught me and I discovered homemade corned beef through you oh nice yes. nice so all I'm gonna he- be here to kind of walk you through the process and tell you what it all entails great um I think people so, love to hear that yeah definitely and you might wonder where the name corning came from mm. so back in the day uh corning uh, it's a form of curing And it used to entail rubbing corn-sized grains of salt on the meat to cure it. Now, it's a little bit different later. There's um, different salts that we use now. And in this recipe, we actually use a product called Tender Quick because you don't have to buy a special curing salt. Um, The Tender Quick is your kosher salt. It's your curing salt all in one. It's got a little sugar in it as well. Do you know what kind of salt they did use before that was the corn or the corn kernel size i don't Don't? know sure i don't and i i don't know if it's even available on the market um old world stuff definitely but the tender quick makes it easy so you don't have to measure out any specific curing salts that's like a morton Uh, brand that you can get at the grocery store right yep right in the grocery store with the other salts okay and what you do want to do is mix your spices into it so for this recipe we grind mustard seeds juniper berries coriander seeds, allspice, cloves, red pepper flakes, black peppercorns, and dried bay leaves, and that gets mixed with the tender quick along with fresh garlic, brown sugar, fresh ginger as well. And what's interesting about those dried spices, they were originally used not just for flavor, but because they all have antibacterial properties. So it sort of aided in in keeping the meat fresh. So this is fairly traditional kind of spice realm that you're within. Yes, definitely. Now you can buy, you know, your own pickling spices if you want. If you don't want to go out and buy each spice individually, or if you don't have them, you can certainly do that. Um, this gives you more control, though, and you can kind of maybe add a little bit more of something, a little less of something else, and exactly. make it your own. Yeah, and and the good thing about that, too, is, you know, you make it once and you decide, oh, you know, I really liked it, but maybe it was heavy on one spice that you don't prefer. You know, next time you make it, just change it up. Yep. So, um, 
Yeah. All right. So where do we go from here? Now, you can probably cure any cut of beef. I'm sure that that's a thing. But uh, brisket is the traditional cut to do for corned beef. And there's two cuts you can use. There's the flat cut and the point cut. And that's a beef brisket. Beef brisket. That's correct. And in our recipe, we did a flat cut because I think it cures more evenly because it's the thickness of it is more even. Oh, it's consistent. Um, but I think some people prefer the point cut because it's fattier. So mm. it might uh, mm. be a little bit juicier, <laughs> um, but it is a little bit trickier to control how to cure it. And you do want to make sure that the cure goes all the way through the meat. Because it's inconsistent. And so some side might get, or end, might get a little more cured in the center, a little less cured kind of thing? Yes. Okay. Yep. Now, the other thing, some people are concerned about nitrates, and that is what is in curing salt and what's in your tender Morton's tender quick. Um, but curing salts are really heavily regulated by the FDA, so you don't really need to be worried about them. And they are meant to protect against botulism and preserve the color of the meat so you don't end up with um, sad gray corned beef. Um, nobody so, wants that. Yeah, nobody <laughs> wants that. So what you do, you grind up all your spices, mix it with your salts, add the garlic, brown sugar, ginger, yada, yada. Um, and then you've got your meat. And we chose the flat cut of the brisket. Trim off any heavy fat caps from there because the fat will kind of inhibit the curing salts and all the flavors from penetrating the meat. Uh, and then you also want to stab it generously with a fork on both sides, and that'll help those salts get in there as well. So do it on a day you got a little anxiety. Yep. And <laughs> yep. Got a little anxiety. This is the recipe for you. Yep. So then after you've pricked the brisket on both sides, you can put it in. It should fit into a 9 by 13 inch glass baking dish. I would not use an aluminum dish for this. It could have a reaction. Um, and you vigorously rub this mixture all over every every surface of the meat and then you leave it in the dish cover it with plastic wrap and then you want to weight it down and we happen to use it looks like four cans of tomatoes here in this photo oh, like the 28 or 35 ounce cans yep, of the tomato. larger cans the 28 ounce cans um, and that's going to help to make sure that those salts stay on the surface of the meat and really get sucked in there and at this point you stick it in the fridge, leave it there for 72 hours, and that's the time that it needs. You want to flip it halfway through just to make sure that everything's sort of consistent, but it's really hands-off. And let's see, I think that that's pretty much the end. I had a question. You talked about the glass um, baking dish mm -hmm. as opposed to metal because it could cause a reaction. Could you just elaborate on that just a little bit? I don't know a lot about that, but um, potentially the curing salts might have oh. a reaction with an aluminum pan. Sure. Um, I know. Stainless steel would probably be fine uh -huh. as well, but I would probably stick with glass or porcelain. Kind yes. of like with um, when you make tomato sauce and you don't want to cook it in um, the acids or something. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And it could potentially discolor the meat as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So corned beef is a two-step process. And after the 72 hours of curing with the salts, the curing portion is done. And now it's time to braise it. Um, and That's... a lot of times you'll hear of boiled corned beef. So basically the corning part is what when you buy something from the store, 
that's already done and then you just open the package and then you basically are going to braise or boil or something so this is the stage where you would pick it up from the store if you haven't made your own exactly gotcha so you're going to want to rinse off all those extra salts from from the meat get off any chunks and then you're going to put it into a pan and here you know the flavor profile that we've chosen is sort of an apple apple and ginger with more of those same spices that the meat got cured with. I and remember it fondly. <laughs> it was pretty tasty, as I remember. Um, but it's really simple, and you can kind of choose your own flavor profile. But all these recipes that we're going to talk about here today will be up on the website. Um, and I think they'll also be in the podcast notes. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yep. Okay. So typically when you're braising, you're going to sear your meat. Um, but with corned beef, that's not really part of the process. You're just going to use a low heat to gently cook it because, um, so this cut of beef is part of the cow that gets worked a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of connective tissue gets involved in this meat and it's tough. And so you really have to cook it at a low temperature and for a longer period of time. Low and slow. Yes. Low and slow to really break down those tissues. Um, otherwise, you're going to end up with something that's just very unchewable and no one's going to like it. Certainly be sad after going through that 72 hours of curing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, let's see. What do I have going on here? Um, I have onion, apple juice, beef broth, carrots, celery, garlic, ginger, all those same curing spices. And I've put that all into a Dutch oven or a large pot, again, a non-reactive pot. Um, add the corned beef to the liquid. You're going to bring it to a boil, transfer it to the oven then. And this is a 300 degree oven and that's, that's low. So you're going to cook it that way three hours. You can flip it halfway through. And then once the beef is done, you're going to let, let it rest in that liquid and just kind of cool down in there for about an hour. And once, once that happens, you can serve it immediately or you can you know, be done at that point and it can be a make ahead situation mm-hmm. and then reheat it, mm-hmm. you know, the day that you plan on serving it. So uh, did you serve? I'm trying to remember what your sides were. Did you serve it with cabbage and some or sprouts? I think it was right. Uh, yes, I did braised Brussels sprouts with apple, bacon and mustard. So I was trying to continue that apple theme sort of throughout. Mm-hmm. Um And I'll skip the sprouts for just a minute because what I do is I make an apple mustard sauce that goes with the corned beef. Mm. Um, It's got shallots and oil, some apple jelly, whole grain mustard, and just a little bit of prepared horseradish. Um, And it just, it's a really pretty sauce. It's got a lot of sheen and it's not too sweet and it really goes well um, with the the salty meat. And I don't mean salty in a bad way, just, Mm -hmm. you know, that Savory. Corned beef has that sort of mm-hmm. salty cured flavor mm-hmm. um, that's what we very love about distinct. It. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think I remember it was a very nice um, consistency sauce too. Yes. Yes. Not too thick, not too mm-hmm. thin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't say this either, how you want to cut the meat. So oh, I'm you, sorry. It's okay. So you want to cut it against the grain because the fibers in the meat are mm. long. If you cut it with the grain, it's going to be very chewy. So cutting it against the grain immediately cuts those fibers and makes it easier for you to chew. Which is pretty much what we recommend for cutting all meat. Yep. Um, otherwise, you get stringy stringy messes. Yeah. yeah. That, that really is hard to chew. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so the Brussels sprouts, let's see. How did I do these? That's okay. sort of because Brussels sprouts is in the same family as cabbage. That's so right. it's basically little baby cabbages. Totally. Yeah. Fetal cabbages. <laughs> yes. That's what we call them at my house. <laughs> Um, so we start with cooking bacon. I mean, any good recipe does, right? Mm -hmm. And then we add the sprouts to the drippings along with the onion, and we cook those until they begin to brown, um, seasoning with salt. It's really important when you are cooking vegetables to season or anything, really, season as you go along. If you wait to put the salt in at the end, it's just not going to have the same depth of flavor as you would otherwise. Um so then you deglaze the pan with apple juice and add your mustard, cover the pan, and you're going to cook them until they're nearly fork tender. It's about six minutes more. And then right at the end, add some diced apple, and you want that to cook it a couple minutes just until it's a little bit tender. Uh, mount the final recipe with butter. Add a little vinegar to cut sweetness and and whatnot, and throw that crispy bacon in. Uh, explain the mounting with the butter. So, yes. So what you want to do is add the butter to the pan and keep it moving. We're not looking for the butter to melt and create an oily slick on top of uh, the sauce, if you will. You want to keep it moving so it will emulsify. And thicken. Yes, and thicken it. And kind of get that lusciousness. Yes, mm -hmm. and that way you avoid the greasiness mm -hmm. that can happen adding butter to sauces at the end. Mm -hmm. So that is the full menu that I have done here. Uh, question for you, and I don't know if you know this. I don't either. As I said, I grew up um, eating corned beef. My mom made it every St. Patty's Day. Loved it. And um, uh, and I know I've also here, I developed a, what was it, a Irish soda bread that was mm -hmm. a very much an American version because when you do research, um, Irish soda bread in Ireland is not sweet at all. It's usually done with like a heftier flour and um, uh, just different than what we typically know. So there's there's really like Americanized versions of that. I'm, uh, but I do know that they eat soda bread in Ireland. Corned beef, I'm not so sure. Is that kind of an American thing? Do we know? Is it an Irish thing or... Uh, gosh, you know, that's a really good question. I'm not sure. And I, and I sort of attribute it um, as part of the Jewish community as well. Sure. Um, you know, they, they do the pastrami, and that's basically mm -hmm. a peppered corned beef. Um, and I think pastrami is more brine cured um, as opposed to salt cured. And really, that's just submerging mm -hmm. it in a brine that has all the same ingredients that your salt cure would have. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm not sure who we can attribute that to. But a liquid, to. wet state, that yes. would be, yes. Yep. Um, well, something we'll look into. Definitely. <laughs> Maybe a Q&A for the magazine. There you go. So, um, but I'm going to go through, uh, I have a plethora of recipes here that you can use if you want to make your own corned beef and you want to put it to use in a few other applications. Um, we have the recipes to do that. Great, because we're talking all corned beef today, so you have uh, something to celebrate for St. Patrick's Day. That's right. I mean, and usually there's a little bit left over, mm, so you know, you've got to do something with it. And if you don't want to do the usual standby sandwich, you know, we've got some more interesting things for you. And all these recipes are online or in the uh, notes. Yes. Great. Yes. Yep. 
So we several of these recipes are Reuben themed, and maybe I should have grouped my recipes like that to talk about them. Oh, it's but all I good. didn't, so we'll <laughs> get there. So the first one we have here is a Reuben pizza with pickles. Mm. Um, and if you like Reubens as much as I do, then I think that you're gonna like this pizza. Um, we're using a purchased pizza dough here, and we're making a homemade Thousand Island dressing and or Russian dressing. I'm not sure exactly the difference between all of those types of dressings. Do you know? I did, and it just went out of my head. I think I've done a Q&A question on this. Um, maybe one has sweet pickle, one dill. Yes, another Q&A if we haven't answered it. Yeah. Yes. Either way. So we're making our own here, and it's got mayonnaise, dill pickle relish. Uh, that's regular, not sweet. Chili sauce, ketchup, minced garlic, salt, and pepper. But if you have a favorite Thousand Island dressing you like, you could certainly use that instead. Wait a minute. Did you say there was um, onion? No? Uh, no. No. No onion I here. I think uh, some Russian dressings have maybe onion and or horseradish in them, too. Okay. I do think that. Okay. So once you've got your dough rolled out, let's see. What do we have here? <clears throat> You're going to sprinkle cornmeal on your pizza peel because that's going to really help you get your pizza into the oven without mm -hmm. sticking to the peel. Um, and then put the dough on top, spread the sauce onto the dough. You want to leave a border, you know, as you typically would with a pizza. And then you layer on corned beef, sauerkraut. Uh, I have a couple different cheeses here, Swiss cheese and part skim mozzarella. And we want to use part skim because fresh mozzarella is going to be too wet for this situation. Um, and caraway seeds, we don't want to leave those off. They really do add a lot of flavor. Because everybody um, likes their Reuben on, on rye. That's with right. Corn, with caraway seeds. That's right. And the sauerkraut as well. You want to well drain that. Um, you know, it's not really good enough just to use a fork to fish it out mm. of the jar or the bag. You want to kind of squeeze it. Squeeze that extra liquid be out. be soggy. Yep. Definitely. So after you get all the toppings on, slide it into the oven, bake it until it's done, and then um, sliced kosher dill pickle spears make a really good topping for it. So it's really simple. It's a great weeknight meal. Um, and it's, you know, another alternative to the Reuben sandwich. Mm -hmm. We loved it around here. Mm -hmm. uh, next, we have a corned beef Colcannon soup. Now, I don't remember exactly what a Colcannon is. It is a potato dish. I think it's a heavily... Potato and cabbage ca or kale? I I'm. It might be both. I want to say kale, but I'm... Boy, batting a thousand. I know. <laughs> I know. But anyway, this soup has all the same things that your typical cold cannon would have. But it also has some other really good things, too. Uh, we've got dry pearled barley, and that's going to really bulk this up. And dried Northwoods blends mushrooms. And you're going to simmer that for about 40 minutes because you want to rehydrate those mushrooms and get the flavor out of them. You're going to mince your typical mirepoix, onion, carrot, celery, along with some garlic, and you're going to sweat that. A little bit of tomato paste goes into the mix, some dry red wine, beef stock, and then you've got your corned beef, some potatoes, bay leaves, thyme, chopped kale, a little vinegar, um, and you probably find this with most of our recipes. We have finished the recipes with vinegar or lemon juice or some sort of an acid because it really helps to balance your dish and pep it up. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then there's a topping for this soup, which is a mixture of sour cream, mayonnaise, prepared horseradish, and fresh thyme. There's that horseradish. Yeah. <laughs> and it really is quite tasty. 
This was, was this article, because these both came from the same article. Was yes. it uh, just a, uh, re, it was using leftover corned beef? Yep, okay. it was. Our, our one in four, okay. one ingredient, four ways. We decided there was plenty of fodder to <laughs> fill these pages. Um, next, we have a corned beef hash, and I actually have two here for you. This one is with Brussels sprouts and mushrooms. Uh, we have button mushrooms, onions, red bell peppers, butter, and garlic. You're going to cook that all up. Add your Brussels sprouts, your corned beef, thyme. And let's see, how are we putting this together? After you add the sprouts, you're going to cook it for a while to make sure everything's tender. And then we've got another sauce for you. We're big fans of sauce here. Um, this one's mayonnaise, spicy brown mustard, ketchup, and Worcestershire. And then fry some eggs and put those on top mm. because I mean one of my favorite things is to break the yolks and let the yolks run into everything and you know kind of further enhance the sauce mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. put an egg on it that's right it's very popular and then this one is one of my favorites corned beef waffles with <gasps> an apple thyme maple syrup oh, I remember them so fondly I mean I think like me, I think you're a fan of sweet and savory combos. Yes, yes. And, and a good waffle, yes. which is surprising because I don't think you always get that. No, but I mean, it. so many times waffles are kind of soggy and, you know, mm -hmm. really sad. Um, so for here, for the syrup, we reduced apple cider with maple syrup, fresh thyme, and just a pinch of salt down to the desired consistency. And your syrup's done. That's easy. And then you've got basically your typical waffle ingredients, flour, baking powder, baking soda, salt. And we added black pepper because we are, this is sort of a savory recipe. And then we have melted butter, buttermilk, beaten eggs. I added Dijon to this recipe, sugar, and then the corned beef. You want to mince this up in a food processor pretty fine because you don't want any hard chunks that are going to sort of distort your waffle. And you whisk all these things together like a typical waffle batter, stir the, the beef in at the end, and then you're ready to roll and just put it right in your waffle iron. Yeah, and if your uh, corned beef is minced pretty well, it's dispersed throughout, so you get that flavor pretty much with every bite. Exactly. You don't have any bites that don't have any, Yum. and those are the sad bites. <laughs> so those are probably our most recent mm -hmm. of corned beef recipes. Next, I'm going to talk about one that's pretty old, but I remember this This happened when I was an intern here uh -huh. many years ago. The Reuben Hush Puppies stuffed with Swiss cheese. Um, you've got your Can't corned beef. Can't go wrong beef. with that. Exactly. I mean, again, <laughs> I, I'm a fried food lover, so. Really? Can't go wrong. <laughs> We've got rye breadcrumbs, sour, sauerkraut, again, that we have squeezed dry and minced, dill pickles that are diced. Milk, flour, yellow cornmeal, scallions, egg, and then we are going to add just a little bit of sauerkraut brine or dill pickle brine, um, some leaveners, dry mustard, cayenne, and you basically just stir all that stuff together. And then if you have a cookie scoop, that's going to work best. And this recipe is old, and so it's not maybe quite up to our style. It doesn't specify the size, but... In your scoop with your batter, you want to stuff a cube of Swiss cheese down into the batter before you release release that batter into the hot oil. So probably a couple tablespoon size or at least a tablespoon, right? Yeah. I mean, if I had to guess, this looks like 
I'll show Pam this piece of paper here. Potentially a number 40 scoop? What do you think? That sounds about right. Which, oh, stuff a cube of cheese into one tablespoon of batter. One tablespoon of right. batter. Okay. I don't remember what size of scoop equals one tablespoon of batter. Don't but, remember either. Um, but either way, just make sure that cheese is kind of fully covered by the batter so it's not leaking out and mm -hmm. spilling out into the hot oil. Um, and you have to make your cheese accordingly to fit into that size mm -hmm. too, not so big. Exactly. Kind of on the smaller side. So these are definitely a must make. I'm sorry. Did you say there was a sauce? There was, right? Oh, is or there not? a sauce? Did I miss it? Um, well, you could just do a, probably it says a Russian serve dressing. with dressing. Yeah. So yeah. purchase Thousand Island dressing here. Okay. Yep. All right. Another Reuben thing, a Reuben strata. And again, this is my recipe. Yep. I think somehow I've made most of the Reuben recipes. That's why here. I think you're here with us today. <laughs> I think so. Um, so this Resident is, expert. Yeah, this is sort of like your basic strata recipe, but leaning towards the Reuben flavors. So we have staled pump pumpernickel bread. We have diced corned beef, more well-drained sauerkraut, shredded Swiss cheese, Thousand Island dressing, and then you've got your batter that you use, and it's 10 eggs, two and a half cups milk, two tablespoons of Dijon. And basically, you're, you're layering all of these things into, what size of dish is this? A 9 by 13 inch dish. And let's see. You're going to press down. After you've got it all layered according to the recipe, you're going to kind of press down on it because you want the the staled bread, the dried bread, to absorb that egg batter that you've poured in there and the significant amount of Thousand Island dressing that's also in there. <laughs> um, and it says refrigerate it at least one hour. You can do it overnight, too, which is handy. So it's a make-ahead recipe. Always uh, love those. Yeah, definitely. So then the day you plan to make it, make sure to take that plastic wrap off the top. Um, bake it in the oven. You want to make sure it's um, cooked to 160 so everything in there is cooked through. Cooked to the eggs. Yes. And uh, l then you're going to let it stand for probably 10 minutes because it's a little soft and you mm -hmm. want it to kind of firm up just a little bit before cutting into it. So it's great for a brunch. Or, um, yeah. Definitely. Yep. I want to come. <laughs> I do remember that. It was delicious. <laughs> The Strata or yeah. the next one we've got here? Oh, I remember those too. <laughs> and it's another Reuben recipe. We have Reuben uh, twice-baked potatoes here. Just twice-baked potatoes we know we love. And then yeah. when you add Reuben into the mix, oh my gosh, it's just taking it right over the top. It really is. So we've got, you're starting with large russet potatoes and you're going to kind of, you're actually going to microwave them for a little bit to soften them and you're going to cut them in half and scoop the flesh out and if you've never made a twice baked before um, you want to leave about a quarter of an inch thick of flesh inside the potato shell so that it doesn't break apart on you um, and then you're going to stir together sauerkraut thousand island dressing and this one is calls for just a purchased one mix that together let's see do, do, do. And you mix it with the scooped out potato that you've scooped out. All right. And then let's see. We have corned beef that we've cut into matchsticks, caraway seeds, and some oil. So I'm trying to read the recipe here. It's been so long since well, I developed Well, it's probably this. standard kind of rebaked or twice baked potato kind of thing with kind of your Reuben 
mixture. It is, except they're not really baked. They're fried. <laughs> sort of like a potato skin. Uh-huh. It's sort of like a cross. Ooh. Yeah. So you're frying your empty potato shells, and then you're going to fill them with that potato, sauerkraut, Thousand Island mixture. Rubeny. Top it with the corned beef that you've sauteed with the caraway and the oil. Put it all in there. You're going to top it with some more cheese and some more dressing, and then then you're going to broil them at the end just to melt the things. Um, but they're quite tasty. Mm-hmm. And then a little chopped scallion on the end adds a little bit of, you know, that sharp onion flavor to mm-hmm. kind of cut through the richness. And this was a menu also. Um, so an apple and rye salad goes along with it. There's no corned beef in this recipe, but these potatoes really are rich. And so this fresh salad um, that's really simple, just with romaine lettuce, a pink lady apple, uh, croutons made from rye bread, and a simple vinaigrette um, really helps to cut the richness. Mm -hmm. So I bet. That was really tasty. And guess what's next? I think I know what this one is. And this predated me, but I have heard of these, and I'm pretty sure I've had these at events. Okay. Are these the egg rolls? They are. <laughs> and these predate me, too. Okay. I've never had these. The Reuben egg rolls with Thousand Island dipping sauce. Um, and it looks like from the picture that they used just thinly sliced uh, corned beef that they've cut into strips. Let's oh, see. like deli bought. Yeah. Or if you can slice your own that yep. thinly. Sure. Exactly. So you're going to saute your sauerkraut and your caraway. And when the moisture has gone away, stir in some lemon juice, uh, set it aside. Um, you want to buy your egg roll wrappers, brush the ed- edges with an egg wash, and then you're going to place a strip of cheese, and that's Swiss cheese, on the wrapper in a certain position. When you find the recipe, it'll give you more details. And then top it with the strips of beef, some of the sauerkraut, drizzle with mustard, and then you're going to roll it up like a traditional egg roll or burrito. And and fry these puppies until they're crisp. And then once again, you know, some purchase Thousand Island dressing. <laughs> or if you like to make your own, that works too. Well, and we've also mentioned several homemade dressings um, in other articles. You can yes. certainly look at some of those and, and make if you want to make a homemade. Definitely. Right? Yeah. Definitely. And it, they're so easy to make. They, they yeah. are. It's really just a handful of ingredients. Right. And hardly any work at all. Right. Uh, and they really do. I mean... Sometimes it's nice to rely on bottled dressings for convenience, but homemade ones really are better. Mm -hmm. Next, we have a spicy breakfast hash. And this is quite an old recipe, too, but uh, a tasty one nonetheless. Um, And this hash is more of a traditional hash, I think, than the first one that we saw. And first, we're going to mix up our sauce. And this is a spicy ketchup. It has ketchup, whole grain mustard, honey, parsley, jalapeno, Worcestershire, and Tabasco. Then what you're going to do is dice up russet potatoes and sweet potatoes and saute those with some onion, red bell pepper, pepper flakes, add your corned beef in there, Worcestershire, a little balsamic vinegar, um, and the potatoes have been taken out earlier and you're going to add them back in. Um, And you add a little bit of heavy cream to the mix. And I think this sort of helps kind of bind it and give it a little bit of a creamy feel. And then then your hash is ready, but you're going to make four wells in the mixture right in the pan. And those are for your eggs. So, Uh. yep. 
So you, it looks like in the photos you want to see the bottom of the pan, and you're going to crack the eggs directly into those wells. And then let's see, does it kind cook of a la the... toad in the hole style? Exactly, a la toad in the hole style. So now let's see, does it go in the oven or are we cooking it stovetop? Do do do. It looks like you're cooking it right on the stove. Yeah, huh? it just cooks for a few minutes, uh, and there's different timing on here. I think for how long you want your eggs cooked, how you prefer those. Um, and then they're showing it served on a buttered English muffin. You kind of scoop up your hash with the egg in the center, serve it right on the muffin with your spicy ketchup. Mm. And it's really good. I love mm -hmm. the combo of the regular russets with the sweet potatoes here, especially with the spicy ketchup. Delish. Yes. We've got another soup for you. <laughs> it's a tangy Reuben soup. <laughs> I vaguely remember this one. I think this was MJ's, wasn't it? It oh might have been and it has a kraut and Swiss grilled cheese oh yeah 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 I feel like yeah like it is uh huh so we're gonna we're starting with pickling spices and caraway seeds here and you're gonna toast those in a dry pan and that will just help bring those essential oils out and more flavors and then you're gonna tie the spices into a cheesecloth um, to form a sachet and hang it inside the pan saute the corned beef in the oil in that same pot and then transfer the meat out. For a little bit sweat carrot onion celery and garlic in those drippings until they're softened and then you're going to deglaze your pan with vinegar and we have cider vinegar here and you're going to cook that until it's nearly evaporated then you'll stir in beef stock and cabbage and it's about seven cups of chopped just regular green white cabbage bring it to a boil reduce the heat stir the corned beef back in and simmer it until your cabbage is crisp tender about 10 to 15 minutes Season at the end with salt and pepper. Uh, add some parsley, and you're and you're good. And you have all the same flavors of a Reuben, but in a soup. And it had a nice tang to it. I remember it did. that. Mm -hmm. It really did. Not and, a, not in a too tangy way, but it wasn't just kind of straight um, savory or anything like exactly. that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I really liked the soup on its own, but if you're missing the bread or you're mm -hmm. missing the cheese. Um, or the kraut, which or you are just not really in want soup. grilled cheese. Yep, you can make the grilled cheese that goes alongside of it, and no downside to that. Not as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> now this recipe is using a Russian style salad dressing, um, which again we're not exactly sure quite the difference. Perhaps maybe onion. I think it is onion, and I've seen horseradish. It's That's coming right, back to me. That. It's coming back to me. Yeah. And we're using marble rye and Swiss cheese. And once again, the well-drained sauerkraut. And I don't think I need to explain how to do this. We all mm -hmm. know how to assemble a grilled cheese. Um, but it really makes a great dipper for the soup. Yeah. Uh, so we've got one last one here. One last way to use your, uh, your corned beef. Turn it into a Reuben quesadilla. Are you salivating yet? <laughs> I mean, gosh, there's so many different ways you can turn a Reuben into something else. Once again, we're making our own sauce, mm -hmm. and there's a recipe listed here for that. And I think everybody knows how to make a quesadilla. All your ingredients go inside. It's Swiss cheese, drained sauerkraut, caraway seeds, corned beef, and flour tortillas. And you just griddle those up until they're crisp and they're ready to go. Fantastic. And we do have additional corned beef recipes online, but these are the ones that you're going to find from this podcast. Um, so I hope that 
we are making you salivate. We have encouraged you to try the corned beef on your own rather than buying the bagged stuff from the store. And you'll give one or two of these recipes a try. Absolutely. And I do think we have a couple or, you know, a handful at least of some other St. Patrick's Day related recipes online as well. They won't be in the podcast notes, but look online. I believe um, our uh, might have some coffee, might have a dessert or two, might have the uh, soda bread. So, um, yeah. And that's at cuisineathome.com. Thanks for talking with me today Haley well, this is great I learned yeah. some stuff good and I'm getting in this, the mood for St. Patty's Day oh me too Erin <laughs> <Aaron> Gobra <laughs> thanks So we're here for Top Shelf, and John has a lot of info for Haley and I about whiskey. Is that right? Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey. And just as a neat little adjunct, I'm going to add the story of Bailey's Irish Cream. Ooh, very cool. I love Bailey's. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Uh, Anyhow, uh, what we know about Irish whiskey is that the first written record of it is... um, Taking a surfeit of aquavita at Christmas, the head of the clan died. Oh. Which is to say, the, the Latin for whiskey at the time was aquavita. Okay. So I think it's funny that the first thing that happens is that it's recorded history. Is it's a fatality. <laughs> so, And that was uh, in 1405. And the first mention of scotch doesn't happen for another 90 years. Hmm. Wow. So Irish whiskey precedes scotch actually um and oh you know where i really need to start with this tell us a year ago when chris and i did robert burns birthday mm-hmm. we were celebrating scotch mm-hmm. and uh i think chris asked me well what's the difference between scotch and irish whiskey and good, i said good thing you asked that because i was about to oh well and that's and i said well the difference is is that scotch is filtered through somebody's socks <laughs> And Irish whiskey is filtered through somebody's socks and tennis shoes. (laughs) Well, I'm embarrassed to say that they're really, really not at all alike in that flavor realm. Or filtered through your footwear. Or filtered, (laughs) technically, never filtered through footwear. Um, No, it it turns out I was really surprised and I felt really embarrassed when I read that Irish whiskey is mostly um, just corn nowadays. It's corn whiskey. Okay. With other grains. Um, scotch is malted barley. And traditionally it's always been corn? Uh, no, it no. hasn't. Not until okay. the New World erupted. Okay. So, um, it had been barley up to that oh, point. Oh, barley, but, you um, said. It was easier and cheaper to use corn. Hmm. Uh, in any event, uh, the scotch is different because it's been peated. It's been smoked with peat. Oh. And that can vary. They actually have a, I think it's a, I don't know exactly what it stands for, but PPM. But it's like, it tells you, you know how they have the scale for beer and how hoppy it is? Yes. They have a scale for how peaty, peaty. a scotch per million whiskey or something. <laughs> but Peats I'm, I'm chasing rabbits here. So So is peat, is that a kind of moss? Yeah, it's vegetation that okay. just piles up decades and centuries. Okay. They said uh, peat grows one millimeter a year. So one meter of peat has been around for a thousand years. 
That's crazy. And they always find butter and they find people that are perfectly preserved in the wow. peat bogs. Wow, that's intense. But I, I'm going back to the corn. You know why? It's not um, traditionally grown in Ireland, no, is it? No, 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 right? no. Right. So they have imported it and um, started growing it there. I would even think it's almost too north for that, but they've made it work. They make a lot of things work. Yeah. <laughs> now, are all Irish whis whiskeys peated? Because I guess I no, thought No, that's they were what not. I'm saying, is okay. that they're not. Oh, all right. I was mistaken. Okay. I, I was, my joke was that, you know, the... The socks were the first peat and that they double peated for Irish whiskey. So that's not true at all. There's only one brand that uses barley anymore. And there's only one brand that has peated uh, whiskey. Oh, Do really? Tell. Um, so uh, Bushmills is using barley, mm -hmm. which and I think it's Connemara is the brand that's using uh, smoked peat. And that's used to dry the malt. Okay. I've not heard of that brand. Yeah. Me. No, I hadn't either. Can you get it in the States? We do we know? I have no idea. Okay. Um, what else then? So, yeah, Bushmills and then, oh, the, I think we also brought up the fact that the Scots spell it just W-H-I-S-K-Y. Without the E. Right. And then the Irish added the E just because they're pesky that way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm Scots Irish. They wanted Irish, to be different. So. Oh, um, you got a little of both. Yeah. So do you prefer the Scotch whiskey or the Irish whiskey? You know, and that's what I'm so conflicted about is because I thought they're um, relatives and they're really not. not. So I don't know why I, I'm not keen on a shot of either, actually. So okay. I tend to like bourbon, but it's much more sweet. So. Oh, the, uh, the one is... thing about the, the Irish whiskey is it's often casked in sherry barrels. Oh. oh. Uh, a lot of them use sherry. Uh, a lot of them neat. use sherry to start, and then they switch over to uh, use bourbon barrels. Some just use use bourbon barrels, and very few of them uh, actually use new white oak from the U.S. So. It's well, probably more expensive that way, I'd guess. Mm, I imagine. Uh, yeah. And I'm thinking that uh, Irish whiskey might be a little closer to bourbon, given yeah. right. Given that yes. it's corn, yeah, right. absolutely. I I don't think they have quite that uh, fifty one percent. Sure, sure. Of things that go into it. But uh, the minimum alcohol content is 80 proof. Okay, a minimum. Is there a maximum? I don't think so, but the, the barrel proof is 125. Okay. So it gets diluted from there. So I'm sure somebody's probably producing 101. Well, there, it might be a little unpalatable if it's getting up, up there hot. too high. It does get hot. So um, this led me all on to... And I, I read this years and years ago, the whole uh, invention of Bailey's Irish cream, mm. which is literally um, the invention of three or four guys in a marketing team. Hmm. They were tasked by uh, International Distillers and Vintners, IDV, back in 71 to come up with uh, a cocktail that wasn't too burny. Okay. And they thought a lot of traditional things, you know, meads and herb-infused uh, Irish whiskey and whatnot. And somewhere they came along with the idea of there's a lot of whiskey there and there's a lot of cream there. And so they said, well, let's m marry those and we'll figure it out. And they went through a lot of rigmarole, but uh, the deal is, is that it's Bailey's Irish cream because the pub downstairs from where they worked was Bailey's. Okay. And um, 
it's got a signature of R. Bailey on the bottle. But that's just because that's the only kind of bottle they could get was imprinted with the letter R, so they kept it. Uh, oh, my gosh. It oh, is the really things funny. we do. No kidding. Um, oh, and then it turned out it was a, a happy accident. The way they had to mix it initially was that, you know, the whiskey's going to curdle the cream pretty oh, quickly. Oh, I was thinking that. And uh, so they, they had to mix the alcohol down, and they found this medium at about... 17 percent so it's 37 percent proof right okay or 37 proof right yes. i don't do public math right <laughs> yeah i think you're right <laughs> in any event um that worked out serendipitously because um u.s advertising laws prevented them from uh offering or advertising anything stronger okay at all so they had the benefit of being able to advertise in the united states uh and they were really skeptical uh, buying into it, and they they sent over I think a hundred thousand cases, okay, or ten thousand cases the first year, and by the second year they were sending over like a million cases. Quite a bit more. Now, mm -hmm. is it sweetened as well? Uh, it's sweetened, and then it's they also added chocolate. As some, it There's was chocolate in it. A chocolate powder that was part of oh. their emulsification process. Oh, I didn't know that. No wonder why we like it so well. And that mm. the other thing they were running into was it, it was fine up in the northern latitudes, but when it went farther south, not only did the alcohol help it curdle, but the heat started yeah. to curdle. Mm. So they actually do add a, a vegetable emulsifier okay, to homogenize sure. it that keeps sure. it all together, and that was the final bit of. Uh, trickery that they needed yeah. to make it happen yeah. but now they've sold in 2007 they've sold a billionth their billionth bottle and they think they're about at a, a one and a quarter billion wow. bottles of i mean irish cream now what a good happy accident you know mm -hmm. yeah it is and it's so funny because they were just tasked well we'll do something you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh and the guy who ultimately ended up marketing it was the gentleman who uh Invented or started Kerry Gold. He, oh. he started marking Kerry Gold. So. If you don't know what Kerry Gold is, it's a lovely Irish butter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Deer yellow products. and so creamy. Yeah. Mm. Really good. But um, then, just real quick, getting back to Irish whiskey, is that up until the 19th century, it was the most common whiskey worldwide. It was the most drank or whatever. Drink, mm -hmm. drinkable? Consumed? Consumed. There we go. <laughs> and um, it went through a long period of decline. And though, uh, and so in the 1890s, uh, Ireland had 30 distilleries. And by the 1930s, they had three. Wow. That's hmm. how downhill it went wow. as an industry. And it's on its way back up. There's 25 distilleries now. And there's 25 more either in the works or planned so well thank goodness regaining. i mean i think that Happy those sort of industries are regaining mm -hmm. more popular yeah, distilling so. is absolutely mm -hmm. um i don't know what else is there there's the the first real controversy with it was actually how it was distilled there was a there's the pot still which you have in your mind is that appalachian contraption with the boiler and the, <laughs> yeah do, do, do. Yep. And then there's a coffee still, and it's not coffee like the beverage. It's coffee like C-O-F-F-E-Y. Okay. And that's a continuously distilled thing. Oh. Can, and so, so it re it gets re-distilled. No, it can saying? continuously distill liquor. You don't have to stop and then re-gear okay. everything. Okay. Um, and 
the first blended Irish whiskeys were blended because they were a blend of pot still and coffee still. <laughs> but it's moved on beyond that. But mm-hmm. it, they were, it, them was fighting words. Oh, I bet. <laughs> it was a big deal back in the 19th century. So that's... Uh, I think that was some great info. Um, and uh, I know we've done... Oh, I wanted to mention Oh, that. Yeah, didn't you do... Uh, Irish coffee, Irish yes. Irish coffee. Which and... I think we had mentioned um, maybe in our coffee episode. I believe oh. we did. Uh, we, last year, I think, for our St. Patrick's Day spread, we did the Buena Vista out of San Francisco there, who are the world-famous... Um, Irish coffee makers in the world um, and the recipe came from um, Ireland the owner the old owner of the Buena Vista back in the day had passed through I believe it was the Shannon Airport mm. and had tasted it loved it owned this establishment back in San Francisco and he and his barman or something like that worked on this recipe for a while perfected it and they when you go to san francisco everybody kind of goes to the buena vista and saddles up to the bar it is Mm. and the bartender has been there forever and i was born in san francisco my dad was was there for a long time we i moved to the east coast when i was starting grade school but so he as a young guy about town he used to go there a lot and um had the recipe had the specific glasses they use and um, so I used to have it every um, Irish, um, or sorry, every St. Patty's Day. Okay. But it is, it's pretty standard. It is coffee with um, a sugar cube that you kind of just stir together and break up, add the Irish whiskey to it, and Tullamore Dew. Thank you. Tullamore Dew is the brand that they use. And then you have a very lightly whipped, almost kind of runny, horrible, um, mm. um, yeah, horrible yeah. Um, cream that sort of sits on the top if you want to start and you do or not. Um, and that uh, we did that. And I think we might have developed a recipe or maybe it was just as a sauce. And did we do a Bailey's, a homemade Bailey's? I believe it was actually a cheesecake. Cheesecake. Yeah. Not sure if that's cheesecake. online or not. But I'm not sure if yeah. she made sort of a homemade Bailey's to add to the cheesecake. I think I remember that. I do that think I remember case. that. But we should revisit that and perhaps uh, have its own standalone recipe. Yes. Yeah, the, the Buena Vista is in issue 136, Thank which you. is April of last mm-hmm. year. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, uh, got some uh, stuff to think about for uh, St. Patty's Day and learn some stuff about Irish whiskey. Right. I, it really was an education for me. I really thought it was uh, peated whiskey. And it's well, really not. So. And set the record straight. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Right. And well, thanks, corrected John. it a year later. Thanks. Keeping us on our toes. Thanks. Okay, for our final segment, uh, I've got John and Haley again, and um, we're playing Cracked Up. John has got the, uh, he's on the controls with the questions. So. I'm the trivia master today. <laughs> Haley and I are just a little scared. Uh, yeah, we always need to be scared with John, I think. I, I think I'm trying to, you know, tone him down. On, <laughs> but we'll see where we go. Um, so starting with the first question. What does the the toast slancha mean? What what does it mean in Gaelic? Um, You've heard slancha. Right? I, I should I have know not. because I watch oh, really? Outlander oh. and they say something like that in Outlander. Isn't that um, Scottish? Um, it is. <laughs> it's Gaelic. Like that. Though. That's true. Yes. It is all Gaelic. Does um, it mean like happy life or shorter? But life, health, 
Health. Health. Okay. To your health, basically. Okay. So, yeah. That, um, I just knew the word salencha. I just thought it meant cheers or something. I mean, right. I guess in Spanish, salud is about your health as well. So oh, I should have okay. thought oh, about that a little bit I more. guess in French, santé, maybe. Is that health? Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. More into that. Boy, do we we have problems <laughs> with foreign languages. <laughs> I am, uh, it's not just public math. It's public foreign languages as well. Io capisco un po' l'italiano. Been studying my Italian. Pam's oh, got a yeah. trip coming up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my Gaelic is a little rusty, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, in which city, Irish city, this multiple choice, was the Titanic built in? Was it Waterford? Was it Dublin? Was it Belfast? Or was it Galway? Okay. It's, it's probably I'm, in a port city. I'm saying Galway or um, what was the other Think one? Think at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> well, did, what was the first one? Where Sorry, they're docked. Say that again. Waterford, yeah. Where, oh. Where is that what you said? What, is that I what didn't no, say no. anything. Okay. You just said that it had to be a port city. Okay. And I Waterford, don't happen to know where any cities um, in Ireland Dublin, are. Dublin. What was the other? Belfast, Belfast. or Galway. <sighs> I'm saying Galway. I was going to go with Belfast, but for no reason at all. And for no reason you were correct. Well, that was my second choice. (laughs) Check. All right. And now this plays to Pam's strength, but it's probably yours as well. All good. Uh, I frankly haven't ever seen this movie, but the famous DeLorean car was built in Dunmurray, Ireland, (laughs) Northern Ireland. It was also featured in the movie trilogy, Back to the Future. What was the name of the uh, movie's professor? Oh gosh, I can. The pitch. guy with the white hair. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, the character name or his oh, Doc? Was it choice. like Doc? Doc? Doc. Is it Doc, Doc Holiday, Mar- Doc Brown, Doc Payne, or Doc Jones? Doc. It's, it's not, not Doc, Doc Holiday. Mm-hmm. That's a different Doc, movie. Doc Jones. Doc you... Payne was one. What was the other option? Doc Brown. I think it's Doc, Doc Brown. I think it's Doc Brown. Okay. All right. Although We're going I with... think it's a pair of shoes too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, or a store that sells orthotics or something along those lines. I'm trying to think of the the actor's name. Uh, oh, I'd yeah. have to look that up. IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just ruin my brain. <clears throat> <laughs> Don't okay. remember anything anymore. A little bit more fun. A little easier. Multiple choice here. What is the name of the animated spokesperson for Lucky Charms? Is it Tony the Tiger, Bingo the Bear, Coco the Monkey, or Lucky the Leprechaun. I was I'm pretty sure it's D. Lucky the Leprechaun. <laughs> Bingo the Bear. Who is that a I spokesperson think he might have for anything? Things up. That, I think Coco the Monkey was a Coco Krispies, isn't it? I don't know. That didn't sound familiar. I mean, Tony I, I the Tiger obviously yeah, is a popular sure. one. I'm calling okay, that a softball. Thank bonus, you. bonus question. <laughs> okay. Can you name some of the colors and shapes of the what they call marbits? I guess it's are a, those the marshmallows in the a, cereal? A, a I mean, there's the, the shamrock marsh- marshmallow. Come up with the color too. Green shamrock. Green shamrock. Yes. Um, what other there pink? Is there yellow? I think there's a lot of multicolored things yeah. in there. The original ones were uh, pink hearts, yellow moons, orange stars, and green clovers. Oh, clovers. <laughs> there you go. Yes. But they've since added and withdrawn at any given time. Blue diamonds, green horseshoes, red balloons, multicolored rainbows, golden yellow pots of gold, and green hats. Wow. They had a multicolored whale, but it wasn't very successful, so they, they took the multicolored whale off. I'll take the pot of gold. <laughs> yeah. Those weird 
marshmallows mm-hmm. in those cereals are just. I gotta say, I never. Ooh. I don't think I ever have eaten a bowl. Well, they're they're oh. nothing. Just because of the marshmallows. Oh, okay. I mean, they're I, gross. I they're, they're... they're nothing like a real marshmallow. No, I was disappointed. All right, now here's the tough, tough question. Extra bonus question. Extra top. All right, my last name is Kirkpatrick, and translated through the Gaelic or through just plain English, is it means the Church of Patrick, so St. Patrick, Patrick's Day. Okay. I'm often, throughout my life, been called Fitzpatrick. What does the prefix Fitz mean? It's pretty typical. Son? Names that I was going to say. Son? Of, yeah, of the son of or. Yeah. Uh, and which Haley, is, thank you. You are carrying this. I don't know. Well, I know. Well, you, you think about gonna, Johnson. Yes. And, uh, oh, well, I was just going to say Fitz Hansky and the Tantrums. And, <laughs> Great band. Check them out. Fitz oh, and the Tantrums. And the <laughs> but during the Stuart era, uh, era, this is 1600 to 1714, the pseudo usage of Fitz was adopted for the younger ones of British royal family who lacked legal surname, and particularly the bastard children of <laughs> royalty and noblemen. So sad. So this is, you know, I, I, Fitzpatrick would be bastard Kirkpatrick. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's interesting. There's a little bit of trivia that yeah. I would learned a long time ago in a book. I thought that's so funny. Well, thanks well for sharing that. that was a fun segment. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, so happy St. Patty's Day, Aaron Gobra, and uh, join us next week. Thanks. Bye. We want to connect with you. Follow Cuisine at Home on Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for recipe inspiration, cooking tips and techniques, behind-the-scenes action, and cooking videos. You can also subscribe to our free newsletter at cuisineathome.com newsletter.